This is an Island to Island production. I'm Ollie Walker and welcome to Season 2 of Ironcast, the show that brings you discussions with craftsmen, celebrities, denim heads, retailers, members of the internal and extended Ironheart family, and, well, sometimes people we just plain like. We're kicking off Season 2 with a conversation from Ironheart International patriarch Giles Padmore. We talk about fishing for tuna in Morocco, how to spend your life savings, and there's an announcement. This is an Island to Island production, hosted and edited by me, Ollie Walker. This is Ironcast. You're listening to Ironcast. You're listening to Ironcast. And I'm listening to Ironcast on horseback. You heard Ironcast, the podcast from Ironheart. Reporting from the West Coast, you're listening to Ironcast. Evam Adrisara Vachanam Kritavyam. You are listening to Ironcast, motherfucker. Enjoy. So we're finally recording. So Giles, what have you been up to for the last six months? Uh, well, it's great to see you again. Good to see um, you. Yeah, things have, there's a lot happened since we last spoke. Um, obviously, we've closed off 2021, which was an amazing year. Um, I think we ended up about doing about twice as much in revenue as we did in 2019. So in two years we've doubled in size um alex would say that was because he's come on board and done an amazing job and i would say it's because i laid the fact me and paula laid the foundations uh, the truth somebody some probably lies somewhere in between it doesn't matter we had an amazing year an amazing fall into collection and um as some of you will have seen we did the instagram live of the spring summer 22 collection recently um, and I think you'll agree that there's some pretty amazing stuff in that. You went to, uh, you've gone with the wax jackets, you've done some more uh, wabash, that work coat, what's the one that... I think we just call it work coat, in, in um, indigo wabash and black yeah. wabash. I love that. Yeah. I'm surprised, I'm surprised it's not very worn in already on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been, but you've been travelling the globe. So where, 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 I have, have been doing a little bit of travelling. Paula and I had booked an awful lot of stuff on the basis that none of it would happen, or at least some of it wouldn't. And of course, everything happened. So we went to a wedding in the Palmas. We've been to Portugal twice, Germany once, Maldives once. We've done quite a l- Oh, and I went to Morocco fishing for a week. <laughs> <laughs> Not just regular fishing? No, it was... You've been fishing for giants, basically. Um... <laughs> Giants in my paradigm, there's some people out there who would say they're not giants, but these were bluefin tuna in the 150 to 180 pound range, uh, caught on lures, on surface lures, in stand-up tackle, it means you're not sitting in a big seat um, attached to the rod with a harness, you're standing up in a tiny little local fishing boat and it's just you against the fish, and it was extraordinary. And I don't think I managed to land a single fish on my own. Luckily, I was with a guy who was half my age and very fit. And um, there was a familiar cry, which is, Shimon, for fuck's sake, take the rod off me. Um, So one of the other things I've started doing is going to the gym, because I will be going back to Morocco with Shimon, and I 
desperately want to land one of these fish without help. Um, so I'm trying to get fit as well. <laughs> well that's good. But, but, but talking about the tuna, what happens to the tuna? They, they come on the boat when you've, when you've got them. They don't, do they go back in? Do they go back on land? How does it work? Um, I don't think anybody really knows what happens to a tuna after it's had a big battle with a human being. Um, but I think it's fair to assume that they're, they're not in the best of health. So I don't feel comfortable about putting a fish like that back because I don't know whether it's going to live or not. So in Morocco, we were actually fishing for the village. We were fishing with the local villagers on their boats and we, the fish that we caught counted towards their tuna quota for the year. So, so we were helping the villagers catch fish. So they'd come onto the boat, they'd get killed. We'd land them at the end of the day or if, if it was very hot, a boat would come out from shore and take them off us because we couldn't leave them lying around in the sun right. for too long. Right. They'd go into a cold store, and at the end of the day, a government um, auctioneer would come down and auction them. So I felt, I felt very privileged to be doing this. I suspect not many people have done, not many Westerns have done this. And it was beautiful. I didn't know what to expect going to really the arsehole of nowhere in Morocco. It, in, in fact, they didn't speak French, which caught me and Shimon, my French-speaking friend, a little off balance because they speak Spanish and Arabic because they were that part of, the, of um, Morocco, which is the opposite. Well, it's on the Straits of Gibraltar. We could see Gibraltar from our apartment window. Um, was Spanish, so they speak Spanish. And in fact, the mountains that we had to, to cross to get from Tangier to Belinouche, which is where we were fishing, basically were a barrier for people from Belinouche to go into the rest of Morocco for years. So it was easier for them mm -hmm. to trade with Spanish than fellow Moroccans. God. So, so how, what, what's the journey like to get there? Um, you get to Tangier, which uh, there's normally direct flights from London to Tangier. There isn't at the moment. In fact, there's nothing at the moment because the Moroccans won't let us in and they've closed the borders down to Brits. But when I went, they hadn't. But the number of flights, the, the number of people visiting Morocco was so small that all flights into anywhere but Casablanca were cancelled. So I had to fly into Casablanca. Then I caught a local plane to Tangier. I stayed overnight in an airport hotel. Shimon came in the following morning. We went into central Tangier and hung around and we were picked up by um, a driver at about three in the afternoon and it was about a three hour drive to Belinouche. What was it like? Very um, rustic? Extremely say. rustic. <laughs> um, we, we lived with them and like, like them so uh, <laughs> I didn't see a mask the whole time I was there. The food would be put down in the in a big cauldron or pot in the middle of the table and everybody just dived in with their hands and fed. Mm. Um, so COVID hadn't really seemed to make a lot of difference to these guys. In fact, I needed a PCR test to come home and I had to travel 80 miles to get it. Jesus Christ. So I missed the morning's fishing, which was a bit of a pisser. <laughs> I think of when I when I hear you talk about the big tuna and everything else, I think of um, the old man in the sea. 
you know, I think of Hemingway's Old Man and see that lovely novella. But am I right in saying he was he was fishing from was it marlin in that one, or was do you remember the fish from? I think, yeah, I think it was about I think it was a blue marlin. What's the kind of size difference between? I would think that was a thousand pounds, possibly bigger. And the bluefin tuna is. We were catching them between about 130 and 180 pounds. Oh, Jesus. They get a lot bigger than that. um, (laughs) But the particular particular strain that come through the Straits of Gibraltar into the Mediterranean, I'm going to say max out at 250, 300 pounds. I'm guessing. And we actually have uh, some bluefin tuna now off the south coast of England, and those are big. I mean, those... When you see those jump, it's like seeing a Volkswagen Beetle come out of the water. I wouldn't be surprised if they're thousand pounds. That's mad. And scare me shitless. Yeah. I hope I never catch one. <laughs> <laughs> and in point of fact, um, I can I can talk about fishing and bore people for ages. But but when I was with Shimon one day after we'd had a heavy morning fishing, and we were both brutally knackered. I said two things that I never thought I'd say in my life. I said, Shimon, I hope you catch the next fish. And if the next fish is mine, I hope it's tiny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're an avid fisherman. I mean, how many, I mean, we're in your place now in Gosport. Downstairs, I mean, mean, there's a kit room, isn't there? Mm -hmm. How many rods? Oh, I've probably got 200 rods. Um... But lots of those I inherited off my grandparents, so they're effectively, I wouldn't say museum pieces, but I wouldn't use them. They're turn of the 20th century, so early 1900s, split cane and green heart, um, and lots through the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. They're just beautiful things, and I take them out and look at them, but I wouldn't dare use them. (laughs) And I probably, for, for my tropical fishing, I've probably got 12 or 15 rods um, all Japanese by the way every single one is Japanese uh, and all my fishing reels are Japanese um, I don't always take all of them because it's a bit like golf you need you need different clubs for different strokes mm. and it's the same with fishing you don't use a rod that's capable of handling a 200 pound tuna or giant trevally for one pound groupers you know so if i know i'm going after gts i take one set of rods if i know i'm going after bluefin tuna i take a different set of rods if i know there's going to be some small reef fish around i may take some more but um so i have a lot and i could almost be embarrassed about it if i dwelled on it (laughs) so let's not I feel like it's, uh, I can't remember, there's a play, it might even be a Noel Coward, it might be something else, I might be getting this completely wrong, but in one of these plays it says every man should have a hobby. Yeah. Would you say that's your main, aside from your work and everything else, would you say that's your main hobby? It's, it's yeah, because I, I can do it here, I can do it abroad, I can do it almost anywhere. Um, unfortunately Paula doesn't get it, so I don't do much fishing when she's on holiday with me. Um, but the thing that we do is scuba diving. Mm. So we'll scuba dive together. That's, so those are the two main things. I used to, I used to uh, snow ski. Um, haven't for a few years. And the last time I went was a, about four years ago when Alex started. 
um, working with us. <laughs> and he, for Christmas, he gave me a skiing holiday, which meant that he paid for the bed and breakfast and I paid for the flight, the taxi, the car hire, <laughs> the equipment the rental, shit, the booze. <laughs> but it's a thought that counts. <laughs> So he came with me, and we had, and it was brilliant. Like we were snowed in for a couple of days, and um, he was very new to Ironheart at the time. So when we couldn't ski, we, I taught him shit about the business and showed him how some of the more complex stuff works. Well, I think that's probably a very good segue into our announcement. Mm. What do you say? So. Um, COVID has brought a lot of things into perspective for me and Paula. Um, Paula lost two family members. And as we talked about briefly a few minutes ago, my two great loves, um, fishing and scuba diving. Um, I lost the guy who taught me how to bonefish, fly fish for bonefish in the Bahamas. I lost him to COVID. About three months, no, in, in, in August. Um, and Paula and I suddenly came to realize that if we're not careful, something could happen to us before we start to really enjoy our, our closing years. And that's not supposed to sound morbid. But, you know, every day goes by, I'm not getting any younger, nor is Paula. And... We wanted to have as, as good a time as we could, whilst we could. And Alex has been doing an absolutely amazing job with the business. And as I said a little bit earlier, he would say in the last two years it's doubled because he did all the work and I would say it's because of the foundation. So it doesn't really matter what the fact is that he's demonstrated that he can make a marked change to the business. And... The other realisation that Paul and I came to is, as we were getting older, our requirements from the business were very different from Alex's and his team's. We wanted safety and security and, and securing our, our fiscal future. Alex and the team want to grow, grow, grow and take risks. So we felt that we were holding Alex and the team back and we didn't want to do that because we didn't want them to be in a position where they felt resentful of us not letting them fly. And quite frankly, I would have started to have arguments with Alex, quite rightly. Dad, I'd really like to do this. Don't think we should. So I had a conversation with Haraki and said, I think you'll agree that Alex is doing an amazing job. Paula and I would like to sell the business to Alex. And he will then make a lot of the strategic decisions about the way our UK goes. What do you think? And he said, Alex is doing an amazing job. You have my full support. So we've done it. Alex has bought the business office. It's been done. In a, it's been done. It's called a vendor assisted sale. So basically, Alex pays us in tranches out of future profits. So we didn't get a, a lot of money yesterday or three months ago or whatever. We got some of it. And then next year, we'll get some more. And so... There is a risk. If the business doesn't do as well, we won't get what we really want from it. But quite frankly, the way the business is going, I don't see there's, there's much likelihood of that happening. That doesn't mean that we 
um, are just going to disappear into the sunset. I don't know what I would do with myself anyway, but we can talk about that a little bit later. Paul has probably got about a year's worth of work to hand over her responsibilities to a bookkeeper because Paula does all the finance stuff, which is extremely complex. Uh, extremely complex for a number of reasons. One, we deal with loads of different currencies. Two, she's not a trained accountant. <laughs> Three, the business process and the finance process that support the business have grown over 18 years ad hoc. So we're absolutely convinced it's not being done as well as it could be, but it is where we are. So we've got a trained bookkeeper in come, who started with us who's beginning to take those responsibilities from Paula, and I'm sure we'll streamline it a load. Um, and I want to stay involved with the forum and seeing customers, uh, seeing retailers. So part of the deal is that Paula and I are still on the payroll and we have a travel budget. I, you know, I will be traveling with or without Paula, hopefully with, but sometimes probably on my own or with Alex to Japan, to America, to um, Europe and seeing all the people who I've grown to love over the years. So everyone who is, who you know, the, the OGs, the people that, that have been there from the beginning, who are fearful of you not being around, what, what would you say to those guys? <laughs> it was, I really laughed the other day because I, I have a particular way of speaking and I have a particular way of interacting on the forum, which is very me, which is quite abrupt and sometimes a little bit rude. And it's not meant to be, it's just the way I am. And quite frankly, I can't be asked to modify the way I behave. Um, Alex answered a partic particular question in a very, on the forum in a very brusque and rude manner. And a customer came in and said, oh, I see the full handover has happened. <laughs> Alex is now as rude as Giles. <laughs> um, I'll be around, and the house will always be open to all of our customers. Um, so I hope you really don't see that much or me and Paula disappearing. We will be around. We'll be here um, for Alex to bounce ideas off. He comes over to the house once or twice a week and says, you know, what do you think about this? So, you know, we've got a few years on him. We've got a bit of experience. I don't think he needs to. And I think he knows that he doesn't need to, but some of the time, but he's, he's pretending to show us respect, which is, which is good enough for me. <laughs> one of the, one of the recent things in the last couple of months or the last three or four months that has, um, I guess, comes from this idea of taking risk was the pop-up in London. Mm -hmm. I mean, how did you feel about the pop-up? I, it's actually quite complex and also, I guess, a sad reflection on me, but also a, an underpinning of what I just said about not wanting to take risk. I set this company up originally as a online business and that's what it is. And it's a very successful online business. And then we started to get retailers and we're pretty good at supporting retailers and so our online business does the online ship and our retailer business does the business to customer in bricks and mortar store stuff. 
And Alex really wanted to do a pop-up. And I really didn't want to do a pop-up because I didn't want to get involved in retail, you know, direct bricks and mortar retail. Um, but we decided to give it a go um, because why not? And I wanted Alex to to do stuff that he thought was going to be successful, even if I didn't think it was. You know, what's the point of giving him responsibility if I just say, nope, 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 fuck off. Um, and it was extraordinarily successful. All, um, I take my hat off to Alex and the boys. I think anybody who came to the store would simply not believe that it was set up in a day. It looked like it had been there for ever. Uh, very nicely put together, lots of lots and lots of stock, and we sold a lot of stuff to people who'd never even heard of Ironheart, who were passing, and every one of those, as far as I'm concerned, is an absolute win. And then people who'd heard of Ironheart but hadn't bought and came in and bought, and then a lot of old-timers. Um, so it more than, it more than wiped his face. We, you know, we made money on it. Um, not a massive amount, but that almost doesn't matter as long as we covered our costs. I think everybody, all the staff who went, and Ollie, you were there, and Alex from Berlin helping, I think everybody had a great time. Um, it was a fun place to be, it was a fun thing to do, and we made some money, and we got some new customers. I mean, what's not to like? Shout out to Alex Huber, obviously, in Berlin. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was uh, it was amazing to meet everyone, and everyone was just excited to see the collection, the new you know the new collection at the time, and uh, and, and and meet the people and, uh, and and feel the products. There's something there's a lot to be said for actually feeling those products and being able to try them on. And yep, especially black stuff. Yeah, black stuff looks like black stuff. Yeah, we had a particular shirt once that we couldn't sell, we couldn't give away on the website, and we had a pop up. Oh, we had a takeover of Selfridge New York and we took a load of these things and Kia was, we, I think we sold all of them when we were there and then Kia kept on asking for restocks. It was just a black western shirt but it was thicker than anything you've ever seen but you could not appreciate that till you picked it up and on the website it looked like a, a black western shirt but when you picked it up it was, oh holy shit, this is this is different. This is next level. So, so you're absolutely right. Sometimes the touchy-feely. I always say that the day that somebody can stick their hand through the screen of their phone or their Mac and feel our stuff, then we're going to be big. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a, this really is huge for you because if there is such a thing as you know, a legacy, let's say. This is, you know, you bringing this to the world and, and, and amplifying this this product. I don't, I don't think it would be overstating it by saying this would be your legacy. And the amount of work and the hours and the blood, sweat and tears you've put into this, you know, my, my question to you is, how will that transition be for you? Letting this, essentially this kind of, your baby go, would that, would that be fair to say? Yeah, uh, well, it's very sweet of you to, to even imply that there's any legacy to leave, but I'm leaving something that I love. Um, it's going to be very difficult. 
and I think that I will irritate Alex occasionally because I will forget that I report to him now. I'll be saying things that I shouldn't be saying. I'll be making decisions that I shouldn't be making. But I've been doing it for nearly 20 years now. I, I, you just can't... Well, I can't just switch that off. So it is going to be a struggle. Uh, but I guess the good thing is at least I recognise that it's going to be difficult and I should do all I can to stop that happening. Well, I mean, that said, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be hard, obviously a hard thing to say goodbye to but I mean the, 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 the R word are we, are, we, are we able to talk about the R word are we able to talk about yeah, you can. retirement the funny thing about what Paul and I have been trying to get our head around over the last few months is that and I spoke to you about it earlier um, Ollie and I'm trying to I'm trying to sort this out in my own mind in a in a coherent way, um, but it was it was put to me by um, by fi- my financial advisor the other day when we were talking about some stuff, and he said, "Giles, you have to realise that you you have to get your head into a completely different space now. You've spent forty over forty years working, trying to accumulate enough to see you through your retirement comfortably." You know, that's what you did. And now you're approaching retirement. You have to completely reset your brain. I can tell you how much money you've got. And your goal is to spend that. And so you will be doing things that six months ago you'd be really uncomfortable doing. Um, but if you don't, you're going to leave some on the table when, when you peg it. And... That would be, he said, in my opinion, Charles, that would be a waste. You've worked hard, now it's time to enjoy yourself. You need, you know, die, die with a couple of cents in the bank, and then you've done good. So the point is, what I'm really struggling with at the moment is that I don't need to worry as much as I used to worry about spending, because there is a finite time. I don't know whether it's 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years, but it's not 60, 70, or 80 your, your objectivity astounds me, really. You know, we spoke about this at the pop-up. We spoke about it this morning, but you're just, you're like, I might have 15 good years left in me. Like, the way you can talk about your own mortality is fascinating to me. I well, well, I don't think of it as strange. I mean, we're all going to die, you know? And um, I hope in my case, and I hope in Paula's case, that's a long time away, with one caveat, as long as we're both fit and healthy is that why the, the smokes have been kicked for now yeah <laughs> want to try and elongate it a bit yeah I'm 64 smoking is fucking stupid <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do have a lot of information on it okay well I want to run something by you so I looked at um, a website before we spoke and it was talking about um 25 ideas to inspire you in retirement. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to run some of these by you to see if any of them um, sound appealing. One, declutter your home and free your mind. <clears throat> um, I will 
I will try to declutter the home. We live in a big house. We've got far too much stuff. And I think talking about legacies, leaving the legacy of sorting all of this shit out to Alex would be extremely mean of me. So I want to clean, I want to sort some of that out. That's something you'll be doing. Uh, okay, there's one that says research your family tree. Nope. Not interested. <laughs> Absolutely not interested. One says dress the part. Well, I think you've got that covered. One says learn to dance. No. <laughs> All right, well, there's one here that says get out and about. Now, I think that you and I did talk a little bit about this, but get out and about is an understatement when you put it to what you and I were talking about. So, just to back up a bit, Ollie and I started to talk about what I was going to do with my life one night when we were having a cigarette <laughs> and a beer <laughs> outside the pop-up. And um, I had just started to analyse what Paula and I were going to do with the rest of our life as we reach semi-retirement and then retirement. And the, the prospect of vegetating, watching Netflix, or ending up in a home not recognizing my son, not having done anything um, with those intervening years, filled me with absolute dread. So I started to think of things that Paula and I could do together that would be exciting, and that would make us want to get up at out of bed every day and and just really do exciting shit and I've got my fishing and I've we've got our scuba we can still do plenty of that um, and I've subsequently spoken to Paula about it I spoke to Ollie about it before I spoke to Paula about it <laughs> sorry Paula <laughs> use me as a sounding board um, but Paula and I have subsequently talked about it in the idea is to learn to sail together, get all the qualifications we need, so um, competent crew, uh, coastal skipper, offshore skipper, yacht master, etc. Uh, learn how to service um, diesel engines, learn how to keep a boat going, and then buy something pretty big, not very fast, it's called a trawler. Um, the type of boat is called a trawler. It's a full displacement boat. It goes at 10 knots at the most, 8 knots, not um, sort of on tick over. Um, a category A, which means that it can survive 23 foot waves and force 8 gale, but <laughs> the boat may, I'm not sure I would. Um, and it it's, has a range of 3,000 nautical miles. This is a, an ocean crosser. Whether I ever cross an ocean, I would love to, whether I actually do, it doesn't matter. We can take it around the UK. We can take it to the Isles of Scilly. We can take it to the Channel Islands. We can go to France. I can go down the coast of uh, France, Spain, Portugal, and into the Mediterranean. You know, serious stuff that will keep us both intellectually challenged as we try and work out how to drive a boat. Um, and then give us some remarkable experiences. And the boat will have two staterooms, i.e. two big rooms, and it will be somewhere where our friends and family can come and spend time with us. So you can get onto the forum, you can get onto Facebook and say, right, we're in, we're in. 
Yeah, Monaco now. I mean, I don't know how much it would cost them all there. But <laughs> Maybe not Monaco. I, I have absolutely no desire to moor up. I don't even want to see Monaco. Um, part of the reason I want to do this is I can get to places that other people can't or very rarely do. So I, when we go around the, the UK... My plan is that we don't necessarily do that in one hit. We can take it to Cornwall this week, moor it up there, come home, go back, pick it up to another bit. But the idea is to go to places that are really difficult to get to by road and see parts of the world that are glorious and remote, and that doesn't include Monte Carlo, or Cannes, or Nice, or Porto Benus, or... The island in Greece that everyone goes to, what's it called? Uh, it's, it doesn't matter anyway. I'll think of it as soon as we finish the podcast. So, Santorini. I'm thinking of Santorini, but I'm also thinking of what's the one that everyone goes to club partying? Well, with this Ibiza. Not but Ibiza. That's not Greece. I, I, I don't know. It's annoying. I can't remember, but it's ridiculously expensive. Ollie Walker here. If you haven't yet guessed what the mysterious island in question is, I will give you five more seconds. Sorry if you've pulled your hair out, but the answer is Mykonos. Back to the podcast. So we're talking, you would maybe go down to like Andalusia or maybe then hop over to Morocco if you were feeling daring. Well, once you've got to Spain, getting to Morocco is easy. It's 10 miles. You basically see it, can't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, one of my ridiculous little dreams is to moor off Ballynoosh and get in touch with Moha, the guy who introduced me to fishing in um, uh, Morocco and say, <laughs> want to come and have some fish and chips on my boat this time. <laughs> Not eating out of a cauldron, though. <laughs> um, what's, so what's the name of the boat that you've been looking at? Are you able to talk about that? Uh, they're called Nordhavens, and uh, I went to see them yesterday, and we've started a discussion. Um, they're a lot of money. But the point is they also have a very, very, very good resale value. So when I'm thinking about it, I have to, I have to think of funding the depreciation, mm-hmm. not funding the whole of the boat. And when you start to think of it as funding the depreciation, actually, even a big boat, as long as it's a boat that doesn't depreciate much, is a much less than you would expect. And Nordhavns, they've only ever made 600 of these. They're... They're not gym palaces. They're not planing boats. They don't use twenty gallons an hour, a minute, or whatever. They're, oh, they're plodders, but very seaworthy plodders. And the people who buy them are the sort of people who want to go around the world, cross oceans, and do shit like that. So they have a remarkably good resale value. Um, so it's called a Nordhaven. Um, and there's loads. They start at 41 foot, <laughs> and they go. I think the biggest on the brochure I've got is 120 foot, which is absolutely ridiculous because it needs to be a boat that two of us can use comfortably. So you can, two people can crew a Nordhaven up to about 60 foot. 60 foot's too big for us, I think, for all sorts of reasons. So there's a 47 and a half, a 51, and a 52. I think it's a. It's between the 47 and a half. And the 51. Um, for once in our lives, 
Paula and I dis disagree, but in completely opposite way than we normally do. I want the smaller one, she wants the bigger one. <laughs> um, but it will have to get made for us if we buy new. And so it's going to be two or three years before it comes off the production line. So it gives us plenty of time to learn how to do this. You have to get all the qualifications. And I don't think you actually need a qualification to to drive a boat in the right. UK. Right. You need, you'd need one if you wanted to rent one. Right. So one of, one of the part of our plan is that we will, will, we'll take enough qualifications so that we can rent a boat and then see whether we like it right. before we commit to spending a lot of money on something that we aren't going to like. Yeah. So we need to find that out. Um, but I, you know, quite frankly, I, and when, when I went into Norwood Harbour yesterday, I said, I said to the lady, unfortunately, the guy who I wanted to see was off with COVID. Um, and I said, this is my dream. This is what m my wife and I want to do. This is our experience, which didn't take me very long to tell her. Um, I want somebody to tell me whether I'm smoking or whether it's something that is feasible. Um, we think it's feasible, but I don't want to be taking a 51-foot boat out without qualifications. Oh, they don't stop when you put your foot on the brake. They carry on for a bit. You know, there's all sorts of things that are... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, wrecking it depreciates it quite a bit, doesn't it? Wrecking it, yeah. Wrecking, wrecking it fucks everything. Excuse me, there's a cat. There's a cat trying to get in. Sorry about that, everybody. Tiger was moaning. I, um, I recently heard Fran Leibovitz talking on a podcast, and she was talking about the idea of nostalgia being poisonous, being poison. But I think she meant it in the context of, you know, again, I, I, this is me being objective here, but, you know, the idea of make America great again, the idea of nostalgia being this kind of poisonous thing. However, I wonder if it might be um, okay to ask you about bringing out some highlights of your last kind of 20 years. At it's, I, I was listening to or reading a little bit recently about Mick Jagger and why he's never done a biography or autobiography. I believe I'm true in saying that he hasn't. Um, if he has, it would have been reluctantly because he, he effectively, re and I don't like Mick Jagger, so I'm, this is not fanboy shit. Um, he refuses to live in the past. He's just not interested in talking about the past because it's been gone and done. And I'm not, I'm not that black and white, so let's see. Um, <laughs> well, I think meeting Haraki. Um, meeting such an open and wonderful guy who put his trust in me to, to take this brand and do something with it outside of Japan. We're up to about... 15 staff now. It's a, it's a big business and it's still growing and it will continue to grow and I'm proud of that. There's a million and one things that I could tell you that I've loved about the last 20 years and there's lots of things I can laugh about but a bit like Jagger, I, I really don't dwell that much on the past. I try never to look forward to tomorrow because I've still got today to finish. And that might sound trite, but I want to extract the most out of today before I stop worrying about tomorrow. Something very sage about that, isn't it? I don't very know if it's advice. sage, it's just, the, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore it's not. <laughs>
So if, if people are, are listening to the podcast here and they, and they would like to obviously stay in touch with Giles, the best way of doing it is getting on the forum? Oh, I'll still have an email address, giles.padmore at uk. I've still got Instagram. I've, I'll still be running the Facebook page on the forum. You know, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I just won't be so involved into the day, in the day-to-day nuances and minutiae of the business Mm -hmm. and there's some stuff that Alex does that I would never have done and that's another reason for me getting out having the health and safety people come in and and tell us what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong and how to fix it and that sort of mundane shite just drives me wild Alex has sorted out a green audit to help us clean our act up and get greener and I 100% behind it, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done that. I've, it's just not what I do. Yeah. That doing those bits and pieces of be like paperwork and red tape um, is just not what I do. So he, he's always uh, he's always taking it in different directions. Like you say, he's very much aware of sustainability. He's he, you know the last time I spoke to him, he was looking into NFTs. You know NFTs, and, and mm. uh, you know there's there's some exciting things that are, are going to be happening in the next couple of years you know so it's it's i think we've actually spent quite a bit of money on um cryptocurrencies particularly wow. specifically for nfts oh, right right it's, but i mean if you want a real laugh people who are listening <laughs> come and listen to me alex and paul are talking about nfts and trying to describe what they are to each other <laughs> <laughs> and how they work uh, Without being rude, Paul is normally the first who glazes over. <laughs> if, if anyone's listening who doesn't know what an NFT is, it stands for non-fungible token, and they are something that essentially they, they can be they can be bought on the blockchain, and they don't look at me. Well, they anyway. I won't bore you with it, but they, it stands for non-fungible token. It's essentially a movement. It's it's it, people put tweets on there that they sell, and they put. You know, images, artists do them. It, it's anyway. I, w- I won't go into it because this is not what this conversation is about. But that's essentially what we're talking about. They will be coming to an iron half place near you soon. <laughs> well, yeah. Stay tuned. Iron Heart NFTs. I don't. I, I, we'll talk to Alex at some point and get some clarification on that. But no, tell him beforehand so yeah. he can do some research. Now he yeah. knows a lot more than me. He explained them to me. And in fact, it was a customer and forum member who. Uh, told us that Ironheart should be considering NFTs and we had a he's Australian we had a conference call with him and he talked through why he thought NFTs non-fungible tokens would be an absolutely amazing thing for Ironheart to do so it was a customer who suggested it just like it was a customer who suggested we set up the forum Mm -hmm. We never have an original thought. We just <laughs> we, we just copy. Well, it's all sort of hive mind, isn't it? Like I, I think it's Adam Faff that originally said about the podcast, wasn't it? If I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. You know, so it's 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 all a collaboration. It's all a big collaboration, I would say. Yeah. We we certainly 100% know that we do not have a monopoly on good ideas, and there's a lot of people out there with much bigger brains and much more appreciation of how to do stuff especially in the new world order than we do 
and we know that and we'll listen. So regarding the, obviously the acquisition, or is that the right term for it? We've sold it to him. Yeah. And a lot of people might, and again, I spoke to you about this um, during the pop-up, Ollie. A lot of people might find the fact that Paul and I had the temerity to actually sell our business to our son. They might find that strange. Alex, Alex knows that we needed to secure a stable future, so that wasn't an issue for him. He was going to get the business at some point anyway. If Paul and I fell out the sky next time we take a trip, he would have got the business. But it would have cost him an awful lot of money in taxes and stuff to get the business. Part of what we've done, and I didn't mention it earlier, but part of what we've done is we've done it, or we did it when we did it, because there were um, tax incentives for selling um, a business that you'd started that will get taken away. Um, every government of the world has got to find, find ways of funding COVID. So tax... The the way the tax landscape looks today will be very, very different in the future as, as, as the governments try and claw money in to pay for this vast debt that we've accumulated. So there was a tax, or there still is, but it will it absolutely will go. There's a tax incentive for selling a business that you've created. And that just merely meant that whether we sold it to Alex or we died and he inherited it, he'll get more because we've given less of that family pot of money to the taxman, and we've got what we need. And the great thing is that it has been handed down, is that you've avoided that awful thing that happens when, when a company gets sold out to, you know, you hear about these, these Estee Lauder, Estee Lauder buying up all these companies, and suddenly all the, they buy a perfume company, and suddenly all the packages end up losing all their, mm. and then they're coming in and they're surveying all the staff members, going, what is he doing, what is she doing, you know, and, and suddenly that, that, that company loses its soul in a way, so you've yeah. avoided that. Well, and Alex, Alex although, although he's only worked with the company for four or, five, four or five years, has lived Ironheart, as I think he said on his podcast, you know. I've sat around the table listening to Dan and Paula talk about Ironheart for 20 years. You know, I picked up a few things, you know. So it's <laughs> nature or nurture. Well, that was nurture. <laughs> he's been nurtured into the Ironheart way of thinking. Mm. So... That's another, and that really is one of the reasons that I'm sure that Haraki gave his wholehearted blessing to this happening, because he sees that the DNA is still there. Yeah, the DNA is still there. That's a really nice way of putting it. Um, we've talked for a while about all these other bits and bobs, and this is massively important, but I know there's going to be some people out there who are going to be going to be wanting to hear about product. Mm -hmm. Can we take some some time to talk about product? Sure. So what's been going on in terms of, you know, everything that's going out, anything that you've had any, any involvement with? Um, well, we, we started to release the 16-inch slubby jeans, which lots of people never thought they'd see from Arnhart, um, in mid-December. And... They will continue through probably till March because we didn't make enough fabric. The demand from the retailers for this stuff was just extraordinary. 
and I asked Haraki how. So the the way the way this works is we the way that we do products like the slubby denim and the jeans is that we and that could be me or Alex or me and Alex or me Paula and Alex or whoever we come up with an idea slubby denim in fact Haraki came up with the idea of slubby denim but um, we come up with the idea of a new product we make some samples we then go out to the retailers um, and they can then go on to the retailer portal, which I talked about in um, the first podcast. And it's like a website, a shopping website for the retailers. They can have a look at the product and they place orders. After about, we normally give them about 10 days to place orders, <laughs> which as Alex says is, why do they think the 10th day is the fucking target? <laughs> <laughs> Because all of the orders, except one or two really good retailers, they come in on day 9, 10, and then 11. Oh, whoops, sorry. You know, what's changed in the last 10 days that suddenly made you want to order now, not when you originally got it? Anyway, that's, that's an aside. After about three days, and we saw the volume of orders coming in, I wrote to Harak and said, how much of this denim have you made? And he came back. I said, well, you need to double it or treble it. The point of that is that normally we would try and launch all five of the core cuts close together. We can't. We just didn't have the denim. So it's going to, or it was 555. Then the next one was 666. And then I think the next one was 634. And then 777 and 888 over about a four-month period as, as we try and make the denim. So that's, that's one that has um, been going on for the last few months. We've got the Ultra Heavy Raw, which we've talked about before, certainly on the Instagram Lives, which is a 21 ounce that shrinks to 23 ounce. As the fabric contracts, there's more fabric per square yard, which is how fabric weight is measured. So when it shrinks, there's more fabric in cotton in that square yard. So it starts off at 21, but comes 23 for a square yard. Google it if I didn't explain it very well. Um, <laughs> We we started making that denim about 12 years ago and it became extremely popular and very culty and lots of people got it and then I, I for some reason I just let it die um, and then about a year ago probably a customer said why don't you do it again so we did so We've sampled all five cuts and that will start to come out. We've got some other denims. Oh, I think we've got a Indigo Indigo 14 ounce that I haven't seen yet that Harak is working on. We've got a 21 ounce raw that Harak is working on. I've been talking about a new raw for ages and every time I talk about it, it's different from the last time I talked about it. That's because Haraki keeps on experimenting changing it so the current idea is that the new raw is 21 ounce um, and that's that's about it in new denims uh, though if you've had a, a look at our spring summer 22 there's a lot of new 10 ounce denims that we're using for shirting and jackets um, it's our 20th year anniversary in 2022. That's Ironheart as a whole, not Ironheart International. So we will be having a big party here. We will be releasing 
a special gene for it. Probably not out of a special denim. We just don't have the bandwidth to make a special denim, unfortunately. So it'll be an existing denim, but the gene will be special in some way, shape or form. Um, we will be doing a special UHF, which is probably a subtle tweak on the first UHF we ever did, IHSH01, um, which will be fantastic. There's all sorts of stuff. New t-shirts, new sweatshirts, hopefully some sweatpants. Lots and lots and lots. Okay, well that's good. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for all of those things. Um, Giles, anything else we, uh, we need to talk about before we sign off today? Uh, well, I could talk forever, but... Um, <laughs> I just like to thank everybody who's listening for listening and if you're listening now thanks for putting up with me and Ollie for however long it was um, and sincere heartfelt thanks from me Paula Haraki and Alex for helping Arnhart be what it is today because without you it'd be a few jeans in an empty warehouse and that was my phone. And that, in fact, Mark, I'll call you back. That was my financial advisor, actually the one who said, you've got to get your head around how you spend this fucking money. So I think you might be coming up with some hints. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Giles, as always, it's, it's just been a pleasure to talk to you. And this isn't, I hope, going to be the last time we speak to you on the podcast. I hope we, uh, we do this at least every season. I'll be very upset if it is, Ollie. <laughs> all good, all good. Because we, we, there's also something, we did have this idea, and I don't know whether we're going to put this out in the episode or not, but we did have this idea about, we'd like to have an episode where we talked about business, actually. I'd love to talk about it. I think we do things quite a lot differently. The way we think about the business, we do differently from a lot of other businesses. And I, I, I think it's interesting, and I hope that the people listening will be interested in what we think is different, or think we're talking bollocks and tell us we're talking bollocks <laughs> well you heard it from him first uh hopefully we'll be back with that one if not some other updates at some point maybe we'll just do a podcast on the uh, on the nordhaven <laughs> the nordhaven that special would, that would fill me with joy <laughs> whilst you know searing some tuna um they have diesel engines that plod away at 1800 rpm they're not noisy boats i think we can probably do a podcast even at full whack <laughs> <laughs> right you heard it here first um just a pleasure to talk to you thank you ollie my pleasure too and thank you for listening everybody you've been listening to ironcast the official ironheart international podcast a big thank you to giles padmore Ironcast is an island-to-island production, hosted and edited by me, Ollie Walker. We hope you enjoyed listening, and we look forward to dropping episode two very soon. Take care.